Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Amen. And that's the only reason why we're here. We just sang about that. So if you, are, if you brought your Bible, please turn to James. James, uh, we are in chapter 5. We're going to have an interesting topic. And as you know, the book of James, as we know, James is a pastor. He's pastor in the church, a great church. Uh, but his main theme, his focus is on the faith, on the, on the real salvific saving faith. And as we study, uh, James describes how that faith looks like. How can we uh, see and for ourselves to find out whether I have that faith, the biblical faith. And he gives like an example from an example, what does that faith is look like. And uh, today we're going to look at the, at the passage, uh, verses 7 through 11. We're going to go back a little bit. Uh, I know Max already preached in the verses 7, 8, and 9. But we're just going to go a little bit, you know, st- take a step back. It's been two weeks, and all of that is in the context. And our main theme would be a, would be as a uh, theme of suffering or persevere in a suffering or how can we uh, endure suffering and as we know a biblical faith a true salvific faith it goes through the suffering and uh, sometimes it's kind of throw us off balance because we've been influenced by different preachers uh, like prosperity gospel who tells us only one side of the story, but don't tell us the full uh, gospel message, the full biblical truth, how Bible tells us. And as you know, as you, you know, Christian, when nothing seems to make sense in your life, nothing goes right in your life, you, you become confused. You know, this is what kind of throws you off balance, if you will. You know, and we see those examples in the Bible, but not only that, we see that Christ himself spoke about that. And in John 16, 33, Jesus himself said that in this world, you will have tribulations or trials or suffering. But he says, take courage, right? Take courage because I have overcome the war. It's a promise. <laughs> it includes suffering. Uh, Job says, a man, Job's 14.1, I believe, he says, A man who's born of a woman is a few of days and filled or fooled with trouble. So we as a human beings, born of a woman, we're full of trouble. So in other words, you are, I am, standing trouble, and you're sitting trouble. <laughs> we're full of it. So that's what, the, what the Job is talking about. And apostles... Apostles also taught in Acts 14, 22, he says, By many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So this would be our general topic, the suffering, the tribulations. But how do we make sense of all of that? How do we persevere? And as we know, um, we live in the world. We live in a society. Uh, you go to school. You get education. You've been influenced by a lot of information, like the secular um, people would have their ideas presented to you, trying to make sense and not trying to not just explain away, but they're trying to resolve the issue of suffering. You know, the great you know doctors or institutions or uh, psychologists, a brilliant mind, you know, racing their intellectual engines to. To find out the meaning, how do we, how do we not have a suffering? How do we not go through the suffering? How can we eliminate the suffering? And it seems to be all unsuccessful. We still experience that, and it doesn't matter whether you believer or non-believer. We live in a realm of tribulation, suffering, pain, sorrow, and we all know why. Because Bible is the only place that gives us and provides us a true meaning and explanation due to the consequence of sin we bear this evidence of suffering every single day we experience that 
But Bible also provides a hope and a strength. How can we make it? And uh, we're going to look in the passage, and I dare to say that we are not in quite, you know, a predicament like the believers of that time today as we live in this country. Maybe yet, maybe in the future we will be, but we will study as the people who, you know, or maybe there's certainly millions that live outside the United States and the persecuted countries, you know, they bear that the weight of their suffering. So we're going to look at the passage, James 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and later rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is, at stand, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You who have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end indeed by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Multiple times we see the word patient. Be patient. And he says, brethren, you see? So Christians are not excluded. They're still, you know, called by God and go through the suffering, just like everybody else. But when we look in the context, the context tells us, the chapter 5, it talks about the rich people, the wicked rich people who were oppressing other people because they had advantage, they had more money, so they abused a lower class people by not paying a wage on time, by taking advantage of their labor. So the context of this suffering is not so much maybe from circumstance, but it's from people. Have you ever suffered from people? People abuse you, people, people take advantage, people you know, call you names publicly. You know, it's, it's kind of tough. So, I mean, I'm just giving you, it could be a circumstance because this topic, topic of trials, tribulations, and suffering, it, the book begins with this topic. Remember, we study about the trials. And in there, James said, we have, we have to face those trials with the joy. But over here, he's, he's talking about um, people and how does that working out with the people. So the first point I want us to take a look at is he's starting with the right exhortation. How do we face suffering? He's saying, have a right exhortation, have a right mindset, and he says, in order to endure, you must be patient. So to receive that um, offense against you with the patient. And the word basically implies that the believer is under some kind of a stress, perhaps at the hand of someone mistreating. And it means to the ability to stay under. It means, the patience means self-restraint that enables one to bear insult and injury without resorting to hastily retaliation. Not to respond. When somebody comes at you with the offense, uh, with the verbal offense perhaps, you have to have that inner strength to face it patiently. So that's, that's the first. And as an example, as, as an example, he gives us the illustration of a farmer, right? He gives um, the farmer uh, is a great illustration. Who's, I mean, obviously we didn't... Uh, I wasn't born on a farm, so I know very little about the farm. 
Uh, I visited my grandparents who lived on the farm, had a you know, great piece of land that they were planting stuff in there and harvesting. But I was not really at their, you know, present the whole time to observe the whole concept, how it's all done. But basically, the, the, the concept that he's, he's giving over here about the, the farmer, he is the one who's um, uh, investing in the seeds, right, to begin with. He is the one who's preparing the ground in agony and pain. He is the one who's planting the seeds, and his aim is the fruit. He, all he wants is, is just the fruit. He's looking towards the end, right? But in this context, we are given an illustration of a farmer who's supposed to wait on the rain because rain is something that he cannot control. And he's supposed to wait and be patient for the growth when it takes root and start growing. Those are the two elements that he absolutely has no control of. So basically, if we could take the principle of this, there's some stuff in our, in our life that comes in that we have absolute no control of it. And the only option is to what? Just to wait. There's a saying, sometimes it's the best thing to do is to do nothing. I know it sounds weird, you know, but sometimes it's the best thing to do is to do nothing. And we have those times, and we have this uh, principle. So the farmer, or the lesson from the farmer, is being patient by waiting. Uh, how does a believer do that in the midst of his suffering when it's hard? Obviously, we're called to look unto Christ as we wait. A beautiful passage in Hebrew that I love so much that brings a lot of strength and provides a lot of uh, spiritual buildup in my heart is Hebrew 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, also, uh, we, since we are surrounded by great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily enslares us. And let us run with endurance. See the word endurance, that the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the outer and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, uh, despising the shame, and has sat down in the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So that's the first principle. This passage would help you a lot, looking unto Christ, because he endured that. The second um, uh, exhortation we see that be stable or establish your heart. You see in the verse 8, you also be patient, establish your heart. Um, that means like to make stable, to mustering up, uh, holy firmness of faith and inconstancy of grace. And the passage that helps, Ephesians 6.10, speaks about, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That passage tells us that by faith we must come to Jesus Christ and be clothed in His strength and power. Understanding, in order for us to stand and be stable, only in Him we can have that stability. So how does a believer do that? He must consider, uh, consider who are we apart from Christ? Or who, where are we apart outside of relationship? And consider what Christ has done for us, which is the work of redemption, and consider your election in the calling. So we're going to move, I mean, we're going to touch, obviously there's a lot to talk about, but we're going to touch that as we go. So the second point that I want us to see, we have to have also right motivation. We have to look ahead, and we have to have a right motivation, and uh, Max already preached on those, uh, uh, on that subject. 
he says, he was talking about the first motivation we must understand that look for Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. It seems like that when we suffer, it seems like that it takes eternity that we are going through the suffering and tribulation for us. It seems like here. But we live in time. We must understand that eternity is not here. Eternity is outside. But looking for Jesus' coming, it brings us a right motivation. We can be encouraged because Jesus is coming. And the second motivation, he says over here, uh, judge. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is coming, but the Bible also tells us that he is going to judge us. There will be a judgment. Not the judgment of condemnation, but the judgment to where there will be rewards is given. So there still will, will be a judgment. And we as a people that live here, we must understand that Christian suffering, they have to God, in, in, eyes, in eyes of God, has a great meaning and a purpose. And we need to look at that in the, in, in the Bible. So it has both elements, the positive and the negative. The positive, Jesus is coming. We must understand that if we go through tribulation, suffering, it will end soon. And the second one, there will be a judgment and the nearness of reward. And um, uh, the illustration that uh, I know, the uh, Church of Thessalonians, if you read the epistles to the Thessalonians, those people lived in the reality of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am coming soon. My, my uh, appearance will be at hand. So we must understand that even though we've been waiting for Jesus for 2,000 years, but for God, it doesn't mean anything because He lives outside of time. He lives outside of time. So, and as an illustration, um, I remember one preacher was saying, when he went to school, he was a, a little guy, maybe third grade or something like that, uh, they had a substitute teacher. And that substitute teacher just walked out the door and just left the classroom. And the kids just began to go wild. You know, they got crazy, started running around, throwing stuff. And all of a sudden, he said, the kids are, was getting on the desk and starting jumping on the desk. And he said, I was jumping on the desk too, you know. And as he was jumping from desk to desk, all of a sudden, the door opens, and the teacher walks in, and he says, I was in the air between one desk to another. He said, everybody loved it. Everybody had a fun. I loved it. I enjoyed it a lot. But he says, here's the principle of imminence, how Christ is on the other side of the door. He says over here, Jesus is standing at the door. He could walk in at any moment. He could walk in right now as we sit. He has no problem with, he has no problem with that. But the principle that he is giving over here, when we go through the suffering, principle of imminence. How can I be patient today? Anticipating his coming, his appearance as a reality today. Christ, you might come today. Give me strength and the patience to endure whatever I am going through. So that's, that's kind of a, um, an illustration. And he said, obviously, uh, his parents were supposed to be called into school to deal with, with such a son, you know. And he said his dad had to, you know, apply the board of knowledge to his seat of education really hard. He said, I learned the lesson, you know, the hard way. And he says, had I known that the teacher is standing on the other side of the door, I, wouldn't cha I would change my attitude and behavior. You see how it changes us? When we're running around wild and just not thinking about it, well, when we think and live in the reality of anticipation of Jesus' coming, we would behave differently. It would change our life. It would motivate us to live righteous and holy life. Because there is going to be a judgment, 
And, and the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 10, the Bible says that we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the reward. Uh, another point that he gives us over here, and it's in the verse 9. He says, James says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. He teaches us to have a right attitude. When we face trials or suffering or persecution of some sort, we must have a right attitude towards it. Do not grumble or do not complain. And in other words, and he says, do not, do not blame others. Have you ever met people? Have you ever visited somebody who's, been, who's going through the suffering? Who's, who's been having a really hard time and is just going through the pain? Through the... How many of you visited those people? But have you ever visited a person who is suffering and goes through the trial, but he makes sure it's not only him who's going through the suffering, but he makes sure that everybody is included in his surrounding, that everybody must suffer because of his suffering. Have you ever met those people? That's what James is teaching us. He's teaching us that, look, we're going through the suffering, obviously, but we must not blame because those suffering are allowed by God. For some reason, whatever reason, we don't know yet. We don't have a full picture of revelation. But we must not grumble or complain or blame others because I go through such a suffering. So that's the principle of having a right attitude. Uh, so what do we do as a Christians? We must understand that suffering... We must remember the nature of the body of Christ. body of Christ is going through the suffering. <laughs> Always going through the suffering. And obviously we're going to move to the examples. Examples. And the great examples of suffering is Christ himself. Jesus Christ suffered greatly in every single area of his life. Unlike any human being on the planet earth. He suffered physically. He suffered mentally. He was abused, unlike any human being. And the Bible tells us how he faced the suffering in 1 Peter 2, uh, 20, 24. 1 Peter 2, 20. For what credit is it if, when you are brethren for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is a commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered. You see, to this you were called. Sometimes we have a calling for suffering, not because we did something bad, but because it's the God's plan. For whatever reason that might be, it's His plan for my life or for somebody else's life to, to go through this. And He says, for this is you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example that you should follow his steps. And him who committed no sin, we committed sin, even if we go through suffering, it's just. You know, he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten you see, he was not blaming anybody else for anybody else's, for his own suffering. But committed himself to him, to God, who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So, as you know, this is the great encouragement. Jesus has given us a great example of suffering, how he suffered. But for whatever reason, I don't know whatever reason, the, the Holy Spirit is giving us example of people in the passage that we study. I don't know if you notice. We're going to move to the uh, right examples. And the verse 10, this is our verse that we uh, pick up. Verse 10, my brethren... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of the suffering 
and patience. So first, he gives us an example, the prophets, like many people. And obviously, we are continually soaking in what we see and hear, and the things we learn or admire often becomes the imputation for our action and reaction. We try to apply that. But James commands us, he commands us to look at the examples of the brethren suffering. And uh, he commands us to zoom in on the specific biblical characters to help to see the pattern so that we could be encouraged from their life. And the, one of the examples of the, obviously there's many, I, I looked up almost every single uh, prophet. He went through a dark season of his life of suffering. Every single prophet, including apostles. I'm not going to uh, uh, go through all of them, but I'm just going to name a couple. I'm going to start with Jeremiah. In, you know, if, if you read Jeremiah, he was called to the ministry from very youth. He was really young. And God called him, and he commissioned him to preach. And one of the interesting uh, facts about Jeremiah, uh, God commissioned him to preach, and he says, look, you're going to preach, but people will not listen to you anyway. I mean, can you imagine a preacher who would know, sometimes I feel like that, that you stand up to preach, but you've already been told that people are not going to listen to you. I mean, whatever you're going to say, I'm just going to ignore. I'm just going to sit on my phone. I'm not going to listen. He told Jeremiah, look, you're going to go out and preach to those people, but they will not listen to you. Can you imagine how that preacher felt? <laughs> how would you feel? <laughs> Doing the job knowing that you're not going to, it's not going to be effective. But it's only in Jeremiah's thought it's not effective. But in God's plan, we see that's why we have the book of Jeremiah. <laughs> because he went and we see all those prophecies that he spoke. They were in a time to come, in the future. You see, God purposed it. But Jeremiah suffered that. He was beaten. And he was beaten for the... He was uh, put in the... At the end of his day, he was put in a dungeon, in a wet, muddy dungeon. I can't remember exactly how long he sat there in that dungeon. But when people tried to rescue him from that dungeon, they were afraid that he was going to just basically fall apart, his bones and the flesh, because he was so weak and hungry. That he was just basically could have just, they could have just ripped him apart and, and he would just, you know, you know, die there. You know, that's how the, the, his condition. But he remained faithful. Despite knowing that, treated like that, he was faithful and patiently endure going through such a suffering. So that's a, that's a, a great encouragement. The second um, uh, prophet, we know the prophet Daniel, uh, who was faithful prophet, faithful to God, faithful in prayer. And we all know the uh, popular stories, right? He was put in a dungeon with the lions. He was faithful there. Uh, our contemporaries. Just today, uh, we were standing over here after morning service, and we were talking about with the brothers and uh, we were talking about sister. If you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, I posted on the youth chat. Um, her name is um, um, Joni Erickson Tada. I don't know if you, does that ring the bell? Uh, who is she? Uh, basically, her life story, when she was young, uh, they went to the lake. Uh, and she was diving. And as she was diving beneath uh, the water, there was a uh, big rock. And she hit a rock with her head. She basically, when she was diving, she uh, hurt her head. And she was un, you know, unconscious for a while. But she was with the friends, and friend, the friends rescued her. But basically, she suffered from the broken spine. Uh, she couldn't walk. She had a, time, a hard time of... Uh, uh, moving and speaking and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but speech came back. 
but everything else, I mean, she was basically uh, quad, quadru, uh, quadrupolitic, is that a right? Quadro... Quadriplegic? Yeah, thank you. So she's in that condition. She was depressed. She th had thoughts about committing suicide. Her life is basically all in ruins. She's a beautiful lady. And at her young age, this happened to her. She couldn't make sense of her life. But uh, she received Christ. She heard the gospel. She received Christ. And her life changed dramatically. She began to preach. You know, she began to uh, do the ministry, encouraging others and uh, with sisters. She's a really great artist. She's, she's doing really nice with her mouth. She takes a you know, piece of pencil and just uh, do the really nice art. So she's gifted in that, spends a lot of time in doing that. God blessed her so much. And she witnessed that she got married. <laughs> she has a family. So she got husband who love her so much, and her husband and, and uh, their family traveled to Israel and visited the Bethesda. You remember when Jesus traveled there and did the miracles? Uh, she said, I stood there trying to picture all the biblical uh, uh, facts and historical events that were near and around that place. And she said, I just started praying. Just started praying, God, don't, when he was walking in, in, the, in the Bethesda over there, he only spotted one man out of the whole crowd. So she, she tried to pray just like that man, God, Jesus, don't walk past by me. Create a miracle. She wanted that physical healing, you know. And as she was praying over there, alone husband went around looking for you know to see the other places she was sitting over there in a wheelchair and she said it just dawned on her at that moment god spoke to her heart and said i didn't leave you who said i left you and it just dawned on her if i was not in the condition i am she really realized I probably wouldn't be able to touch so many other people's lives and witness about Christ if I would be in my good condition. So it, just, it was just a big revelation that the condition she's in, the suffering she goes through, it is the best thing for her life because it brings the most glory for Christ. She said that it was the most comforting place that she said, I, I, I was just so encouraged by God that he revealed that and comforted my heart. And it was just a you know, heavenly place for her. So, but we also given, so the right example. So we get many examples. But in this context, James singles out a one person. He gives us a specific example. And that specific example he points it out basically to the person named Job, right? You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So as we know, uh, who read book of Job? A few people, right? <laughs> really great book. I would recommend young people to read the book of Job. Job did not have the book of Job, so he couldn't make sense what was going on in his life. A guy, basically, who, um, who feared God. The Bible calls him, he was a blameless, blameless and upright man who feared God and who turned away from evil. And basically, to be blameless did not mean perfection, to imply perfection. But he was the man of faith and he was the man of integrity. That's what the Bible describes him. He was a righteous. God had a favor towards him. He blessed him with a lot of riches. He was a great prosperous businessman. He was a wealthy man. He had a great family. Uh, kids. He had, I believe, seven sons and three daughters, if, if I'm not mistaken. A beautiful family. God blessed him. And, and all of a sudden, that tragedy just came and all at once 
Not like just one season, but everything at once. He lost everything. He lost all his possession. He lost his family. And Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end I will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes, I not the other. How my heart yearns within me. So in this greatest struggle, we can only imagine in this disparity what he was going through. And even, remember his, his wife, and we talked about briefly already in the Q&A, even his wife looking at him and his misery, she suggested to him, look, just curse God and just die. Just leave. Just commit suicide. Look at you. No meaning, no purpose. But because God kept him together, he was not so focused on the circumstance and the issue. He was focused at the end. He was looking towards the reward. He knew something about God. He knew something about He was looking towards the end and the reward. And God kept him. God kept him together. So the lesson from the Job suffering, we will look at uh, uh, God blessed. God's blessing is not on those who endure. Not on those. God's blessing is on those who endure, not on those who bail out. You see, his wife told him, look, just, just leave. That's it. You know, you're done. But he chose to endure it. So, and the Bible is making a huge emphasis on the endurance through the trial. And Paul to Colossians, he exhorts them. He says, if indeed you continue in faith, firmly establish, it's a Colossians 1.23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly establish and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's an encouraging passage. That gives us, and, and we see that in the life of Job. And the second point, of, in the, life, the second lesson that we can learn from Job. Uh, endurance does not imply perfection. But it does require a submission. You see, uh, James does not mention Job's patience. But I think KGV translation, he mentions uh, Job's patience. But all the other translations, they mention his endurance. You see the Job endurance. Uh, many have pointed out that Job was not always patient in his trial. And we all see, you know. But it's clearly that he endured through the trial. Uh, if Job had handled... All of that in perfection, none of us could relate to him. He didn't go through it perfectly. There was, life, there was his moments in life when he was complaining. And remember the friends that came to supposedly support him and to encourage him, but it's turned totally the opposite way. Who can name, who can name three friends of, of Job or the fourth? Without looking, without looking in the Bible and without looking in the foe. I'll give you 20 bucks as a motivation. Anybody? Yeah, that's an incentive. <laughs> anyway, but we, say it again. Ask more questions. Ask more questions. <laughs> Honey, can you give me more money? <laughs> 
I don't have any cash. <laughs> Credit cards, huh? Okay. Yeah. But anyway, we see, that's why we can relate to Job. And I think that's why James is, is giving us this as an instruction to see that Job was just like us, a human being. He didn't do it perfectly. He wasn't patient perfectly, but he endured to the end because he was looking to the end. His faith was looking who God is and what he's, he's capable uh, to do. So I think that's a, that's a, uh, a great encouragement. So the submission required for endurance and bound up with the firm belief in God's sovereignty over all things. So Job obviously believed in the sovereignty of God. And although we see that Satan was working in the life of Job to do the destructive part as we know it. But Job had a different view. So the next point that we could take a look and, and learn from life of Job, have a right view of character of God. That's why we need to read the Bible and study who God is, because this is where our faith is coming from. And we see, clearly see that the character of God over here is showing that the Lord is what? Very compassionate and is merciful. So in other words, the patience, the word patience means endurance, and it means to be short, having a short fuse. Do you guys have a short fuse? Or, or long fuse, patient fuse? Who blows up easily? Can you imagine if God had a short fuse? Where would all would be? If God would not be patient with us as the sinners, we'd probably be in hell already because of how many sins we do. But glory be to God that God is patient and He's patient with us as the sinners. And not only that, we clearly see the example. So having a right view, the character of God in the midst of a suffering, that helps us a lot. And uh, C.S. Lewis says this. He had a, the Chronicle of uh, uh, Narnia when the, he was written. And he says, The children who had passed uh, through the magic door is finally led to the lion who represent our Lord. One of them saw the massive and furious-looking uh, lion and asked, Is he safe? To which another replied, of course he's not safe, but he is good. You see, we live in a life and a lot of times we're not safe. Because of the suffering, because of the tribulations and issues and pain. But when we are with Christ, when we know who God is, when we have a right view of character of God... And relationship with Jesus Christ. We're good. And we're going to be good. So. And in conclusion. I want to bring up the right purpose of suffering. And obviously we already talked about it. That God's sovereignty over all things implies that. He has a purpose. That he is yet to accomplish. God is accomplishing something. Something that we do not fully maybe comprehend right now and understand. And probably for the most part, if God would reveal it to us, we wouldn't do it. We would not want to do it. We would resist it. So I believe sometimes God does not let us know exactly why he's doing it. Knowing our attitude, but he does it. Because there's something good that he wants to accomplish. And we obviously see in the life of these believers, and we all know the uh, Romans 8 chapter, right? Eight, for everything, right? As we know it, causes all things together for good for those who love Him. You see, so God, it doesn't mean that everything is going to be good in our life, in our understanding, but there will be suffering and tribulations. But 
the end point, the end result is going to be good. The outcome is going to be good. So no matter how difficult our trials, we must never doubt God's goodness or love in His sovereign purpose. God has a purpose. And Psalm 119.71 says like this. David says like this. By the way, David, you know the life of David? Study the life of David, who was running around from enemies after enemies after enemies. <laughs> and not just outside enemies, enemies from the family. <laughs> he was persecuted with people in his family. That's even scarier. He's a, he's a prophet too. And he says like this. It is good for me that I was afflicted. That I may learn your statutes. You see? Is anyone hard-headed to learn? Sometimes God brings those moments so that we can learn. <laughs> Actually sit down and study the Bible. Or learn God's statutes. So... We learn through uh, suffering. And another purpose of suffering, I'm not going to read because lack of time, God purifies through the suffering. In other words, we live in a world, and the world has a grip over us, and sometimes we have a grip on the world as well. So God brings those trials and sufferings in our life so that we would just let it go. Let it go to the point that life over here to us I don't want to live here. Christ, come and take me. Receive me in your presence, in your glory. Sometimes God does us that in our life. And obviously we're all young. Our future is ahead of us. We have plans for our lives, right? You guys have plans? At least to get married? Yeah? That's a door to the suffering, by the way. <laughs> To the persecution, misunderstanding, and <laughs> in, in a good way. God, God works that institution for His glory. So that's a great experience. You know, please get married. So don't. <laughs> but anyway, and uh, God separates us. But the most, what I see over here in this scripture, why God brings the suffering because remember, we, we studied with the word patience that it mentioned over here three or four times. Patience. Patience is the virtue and the quality of God. And we as a believers, God has a purpose for our life. To transform us in the image of Jesus Christ. So in other words, God wants to produce that beautiful fruit of patience. How does he do that? Through the suffering, <laughs> through the trials. So it is encrafted in the Christian fabric of life. When we are believers, a Christian faith, it suffers, it goes through the trials, but it endures and produces the beautiful fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, patience. And therefore, our character begins to look like Jesus Christ. We become patient like God. That's the biggest virtuous thing that God is trying to uh, reach. Or that's His goal for our life. The biggest goal and the biggest glory, how you can glorify God, is to look like Jesus Christ. In His character, by His heart. Walking in obedience. Examples from Christ. But being inside like Jesus Christ. And it's painful. But glory to God that it's not just us who, do, who, do, who does that work. The Holy Spirit, He's a great aid in our life who produces that fruit for His glory. So Christian faith, so we study. We must have in order, how do we endure? How do we persevere? Have a right exhortation. Right? Be patient. Have a right motivation. The Lord's is coming and His judgment. Have a right attitude. 
when we're facing the trials and suffering, right attitude. Do not complain. Do not grumble. Don't blame others for where you're at. Understand it's the will of God. Another, uh, look to the right examples. We have many examples. When we are in the suffering, we can, we search, we look, we want answers. Look to the right examples. Christ, prophets, Job. Right perspective. And right perspective, obviously, the Bible tells us that the, indeed we count them blessed who endured. This is, this is the condition. The beauty of a Christian when he goes through the suffering, yes, he's in pain, he's afflicted, but his spirit is filled by the Holy Spirit that provides the comforting. That's why it's the huge difference between non-believer who goes through the suffering and a believer. They both suffer, but one suffer with the aid of the Holy Spirit, and therefore he can rejoice in his suffering. Otherwise, it's not possible to rejoice and make sense. But a believer has that ability, and it's be, be, when you have that ability, when you go through the suffer and have that joy, this is the evidence that you have a Christian biblical living faith in your heart. This is how I can know, what we can know and discern. Am I a true Christian? When I enter the suffering, what is the condition? Am I blessed or am I miserable? Blaming others and God for my condition. So the right perspective and understand every tear, every suffering, every pain for the cause of Christ and especially for the ministering of the gospel, because he says over here, for those who spoke in the name of the Lord, he has a specific category. People suffer for many different reasons. We suffer for our stupidity, for our poor choices, you know, for being dumb, for being not careful for everything. This is not what he's talking about. He says, who spoke the words of the Lord and suffered. There's a great reward. There is a great reward. One of the reasons why we're not suffering because we don't share the word. Try to share the gospel with people. Oh, you'll have many suffering. You'll have many afflictions. You know, you'll have people calling you names, calling you stupid, calling you loser because you're saying that. But you know what God sees? He says, you're blessed when you do that. You are why? Because your reward is great. So have a right view and right perspective and obviously right view on the character of God. God is very compassionate. Not just here, but in the future it's going to be the revelation of His blessing for us and have a right view suffering and the right view on perspective, uh, excuse me, on the purpose. Right view on the purpose. Suffering, Christian suffering has a great purpose in our life and in God's design for our life. May his name be blessed and glorified for what he has done through Jesus Christ in our life and his help when we are going through the suffering we can understand and be patient. Amen? Let us pray.